0: You are listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. We invite you to join us on the exciting journey of following Jesus and bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go. This episode was recorded at the Vineyard Nordic summer camp. Uh, Welcome to the seminar about how can I trust God's voice in the Bible. And what is the Bible all about, really? Uh, So, such an important topic, such an important thing. Uh, It's good to see you here, just for that reason. Uh, So, my name is Ulf. I live up in Umeå, uh, very north of Sweden. It's like eight hours by car north of Stockholm. So... Up almost by the midnight sun, almost. Uh, and there, welcome, Thanks. welcome. <laughs> and up in Umu, I lead the uh, vineyard Umu together with my wife, who is guarding the door right now. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, we've been doing that since 2011. 12 11, 11. And uh, uh, I'm doing that part-time, and the other. Part time I'm working as a teacher at uh, the Swedish Pastor's Education Academy for Leadership and Theology. <clears throat> teacher and seminar leader, and yeah, whatever. I'm doing that, doing kind of everything. So that's me. Uh, and I think the Bible, this book, was the center of everything. This is this is where we find knowledge. This is where we find guidance. This is where we find life. So it will be good and fun to look into this subject a little bit. And I'm thinking that this is how we should uh, have this hour together. Talking short introduction uh, coming soon, and then we could just talk a little bit about how the Bible can make sense, why? Or, or how can we know that it makes sense? what kind of a book is it? and how we should read it and after that I will give you my testimony uh, it's just very much to do with the Bible and then we have questions, questions and answers or discussions maybe more than questions and answers okay do you have anything else you want to to bring on the table that we should talk about, that we should uh, discuss. Or well, what's your, what you have for, what's your, what you want to do here? for prevent, I think. What's your expectations for the seminar? I, I, I just think I want to curious how how this. Bible story makes sense combined with me reading something in the Bible that was just some random place and how I should interpret God's voice. in that, yeah, okay, yeah. I will have a seminar tomorrow as well. That's called (laughs) "Learning to Know God's Voice for Your Life." That's really perhaps more of that comes into that seminar, I think. You might want to listen to someone else as well, but, <laughs> okay. but uh, that's, that's, that's kind of almost um, continuing on this one. Okay, let's go and see where we end up and, and take all the questions in the discussion part at the end. So, uh, introduction then, what is really important in life? It's a big question, isn't it? We have. All knowledge at our fingertips. Just since the last 20 years, we can find anything in seconds. I, I stand up and I have a, a speech like this in a, in a, in a university, perhaps, and uh, all of a sudden, a student, first first year, first month, perhaps at university, stretches his hands and says, "Well, it says here <laughs> that, do, 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 do. And, and you know, you can find." Anything, quick is quick, in, in a second, we can find knowledge that we're looking for. So so, if we can know kind of everything, why is the Bible important? And what is really important when it comes to life? Do we get satisfied by all the knowledge we have? I don't think so. It doesn't help us really do we get happier not really probably the other way around Uh, do we get more successful probably not so what 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 does it help to have all this knowledge to have all the opportunities and possibilities that we have being in the western part of the world just another uh, line on this we are in the very richest part of the whole world does it makes us happy no not really does it make us successful in one sense economically but as people as units not really so all these things are really not very important. the important things are the what's what's inside you what builds inside you how do you how do you grow and and how do you get to know who you are and and know who you uh, are supposed to be and with these questions the Bible will help the Bible has the answer or Jesus is the answer always Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know the Bible Jesus is in the Bible as well so the Bible has the answer Uh, I say to my church quite often that you don't know who you are, until you see yourself with God's eyes. Until you truly, truly see yourself with God's eyes, you don't know who you are. We tend to pervert the view of ourselves. We, we lift it up too much, or we usually, we kind of put it down too much and think not very much of ourselves. I'm a bad one. We lie to ourselves. I can't do this. I can't change. I can't uh, learn things. And and we have all these different kinds of uh, lies that we put into ourselves. We say about ourselves and that we think about ourselves. But until you see yourself with God's eyes, you don't see yourself truly. And to see yourself with God's eyes this book is great because it tells you how God looks at you and it tells you your part um, in the whole creation and, and in his plans did you know that this is the most popular book in the world every year this is the most sold book in the world every single year every single month actually this is the most popular book it's been taken away from from the the lists because it always wins. <laughs> so they don't put it there. Uh, every time. It's sold in one hundred million copies every year. Yeah, wow. it's like what? One hundred million copies. A lot of books. <clears throat> it's a book that can transform lives and it's a book that transforms societies it's a powerful book I mean if you look at it it's just a book it's paper and it's typing but when you start to read it and this book transforms your mind and opens your mind for new ways of thinking new ways of looking at things it explodes it makes things new Uh, so it is very very powerful You can see it in my life, for example, coming back to that in the testimony later, Uh, but also in society. You can see how how these books changes societies. We live in the Western world. It's very much a production of this book. Um, Like the government and stuff, they usually don't say that. They say that they have made so good, good laws and stuff. That's why it works as good as it does in the Western world. But those laws are totally based on the principles of this book. Uh, So societies are changed by this book. Uh, Another great example is the the Swedish small city in Småland called Gnosjö. It's a small place uh, and uh, uh, like everyone became Christian 150 years ago in, in that area. And things started, you know, Sweden was a, a country known by poverty and by a lot of drinking and m- it was miserable. Drinking, gambling and uh, throwing away your life and your family's life because of, of these things. And then people in the city became Christians, stopped drinking, stopped, uh, or they stopped drinking that much and stopped um, uh, gambling, stopped doing bad stuff and started to let this world, they were called readers, because they read the Bible so much, this world was, word was affecting them and they started to do things differently and today it's one of the most prosperous areas of Sweden with a lot of little companies small companies that just flourish or has been I don't know right now, but this is at least some years ago, it was like still booming, and has been doing that for a very long time. So, the Bible changes whole cities, whole villages, whole cities, whole countries. So, it is really, really important. The Bible is God's most important way of communicating with us. If you want to learn to know the voice of God, you have to read the Bible, because that's the main place where He's communicating with you. And really, most of the things in your life is already in here. If you want to know what, you know, you want to hear God's voice, you want Him to lead you in life, you want Him to guide you and where you're going, what you're supposed to be doing, and all these different things, uh, you, most of the answers are already, already written in the Bible, you just as you read it. That, that's a, that is a problem for us today, because not even Christians read the Bible anymore. The Bible reading has gone down very like, like just dropping the last 20 years. In the Christian community... Not outside, it's been kind of the same outside of the Christian community, but within the Christian community, Bible reading has just dead dropped. I think we should change that. And I think also today with pods and and Spotify and stuff, we could listen to the Bible. If you you don't find uh, have time to read it or find place to read it, listen to it on the way to work or on the way to... Where you, when you are drowning, have the Bible going in your ears instead of something else. That's a good way, I think. <clears throat> um, because it is the most important place for God to communicate with us. Uh, someone said that it's God's love letter to us humans. I usually think so. I think of it was God's introduction to us and His love letter. You know, I found it when I started to read the Bible. I loved the letters in the end because they were kind of straightforward, squarish. Here are the truths. Boom, 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 boom. This is how it is. And and it was I thought it was easy. I didn't like the stories really because they were long and and nothing happened so much and it was just a lot of words. <laughs> and then, all of a sudden, I realize that, actually, the stories, that's how God introduces himself to us. You know, when, I, when I'm introducing myself to someone, I tell them my story, don't I? And when you, you do that too. If I, if I tell you, who are you? You start like, well, I was born in, yeah, I know you were born. <laughs> that's quite obvious. Uh, but still, I was born then and then, in that place, this is my family, this is how I grew up, this is what I've been doing. We kind of give people our story, right? Our history. And that's what God is doing in this book, in the stories. He gives us his history, his working with man, his interaction with humans, with the humans. So, it's kind of God's story with us that He gives us in all these different stories. It makes the stories kind of important, right? So, I started to read the stories as well and found it to be very, very interesting. Um, It's also God's love letter to us where He expresses His heart, His desires, His longing with us and for us. So he communicates through this book. It's also <laughs> guidelines, laws, if you want, or guide, I prefer to call them guidelines. Guidelines for our freedom. You know, God. He doesn't say, don't murder, because he wants to spoil our fun or something. Right? He doesn't say, don't commit adultery, because he wants to be a grumpy old man, just being boring. He's doing it because it's good for us. So the Bible is full of guidelines for how we should live our lives, to be happy, to be Uh, to be those persons that God has created us to be to be those persons that he had his his, his, uh, intention when he created you if you live by the guidelines of the Bible you will end up living in the intentions God had for you when he created you and that is the fulfillment isn't it of your life really to be where God intended you to be It must be the greatest fulfillment of everything in life. We are running around looking to fulfill ourselves. In the West, we have so much time and so much money, so we can do that. Trying to do all the cool stuff and trying to be all the cool things. Trying to fulfill ourselves in the best way. But the most and the best fulfillment must be to be in God's intention for your life. Nowhere else. So it's guidelines for our freedom. You know, guidelines take away chaos and gives true freedom. Uh, A well-known theologian called Stanley Hauerwas has a great picture of this. We like to think that freedom is the ability to do whatever we want at any given time. So to just be able to do anything, anytime—that's freedom. That's how the world talks about freedom and talks about and, and how we think freedom, what freedom is all about. It's a bit like uh, in the 60s they were they were uh, doing experiments with uh, music, and they were trying to do uh, free music, <laughs> music that wasn't. Put up in different rules and and, uh, uh, things, you know, uh, notes and uh, all this stuff that needs to make music. I don't know what it's called in English. Uh, So they sit down by a piano, for example, and just you know, (laughs) go for it. Try to be as little uh, um, has as little pattern in what you're doing as possible. Do, 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 oh, boom. You know, so we're just going for it. Do you think it was nice? It's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> I couldn't stand it doing it myself for more than a minute, and no, someone listening would probably throw something at me after two minutes, right? <laughs> it's just horrible. Uh, and and so, but that was. And that's the kind of freedom that we think freedom is, or that this world talks about freedom. Freedom to do anything at any time. Or to do whatever I want to at any given time. Just, you know, go there, go there, boom, boom, boom. So, Freedom in reality is very much more limited. Uh, Just, if you make one choice... You turn your, your away from all the other possible choices at that given moment right, and then you make another choice and you turn yourself away from all the other different options at that time so you at every choice you make you're narrowing down <laughs> the coming choices for your life very much so so that kind of freedom is just not true at all, even if it was possible because it, we kind of narrow down freedom for ourselves as soon as we take a, a decision. Uh, what, what this theologian said then is that, well, for true freedom, if you sit down and you let the master teach you how to play the piano, uh, and, and you practice a lot, uh, you, you, you know, you have to learn all the notes, you have to learn all the chords, all the uh, takter, no, four four, four slash four and all the, 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 the beats, maybe that's what it's called. And those you have to learn it and you have to practice so much that you actually feel it inside you. And that it comes natural for you. And when you do that, after a while, you became to you can start to create music that's actually beautiful. And and when once you're really good at that, perhaps you can even You know, transcend your master and become, and start to improvise this knowledge that you have, and this flow of of how to, to do playing the piano. And you can just improvise and be free. But you're free in a way that sounds beautiful, and free in a way that it actually follows different rules and guidelines and regulations. But it is beautiful, and it is free on a high level right? I think it's a very beautiful picture of the Christian life. We need to submit to to our master, to Jesus, and sometimes also to a pastor or to to a teacher or to a guide in some way, to learn and to to understand the, the rules and regulations, the guidelines of life. And then when we do that, when it's part of the core of our being, then we can start to improvise. Then we can start to live freely. But free in a way that's beautiful. Free in a way that actually makes sense and that other can, people can enjoy and that me myself will enjoy as well for more than one minute. It's a beautiful picture. And the Bible is full of guidelines for this just full of how to live a life that is constructive, that is beautiful that is in line with the kingdom of God Um, so guidelines for our true freedom the purpose for this book is not for us to study it did you know that? The purpose with this book is not to be studied. We are supposed to study it, but the purpose is to bring us into relationship with God. That's the purpose of the book. That's the purpose of the studying of this book to bring us into relationship to, with God. Uh, so, <laughs> and to get to know Him. That's why it exists, and that's how, you know, the the kind of overarching pattern that we should have with us when we read it. It's not to be for, for the studying in itself, it's for the life that we're living, and it's for communicating and to get to know God and to bring ourselves in relationship with Him. I once heard, when I was 16, I became a Christian. And we had, I had a Bible teacher, a master, who I'm submitted to. He was a but um, yeah. uh, in the church in Sweden. And, uh, and, and he had Bible studies with me and some friends. Uh, and uh, I remember he, he said, uh, well, if you consume the Word, it will consume you. You consume the world, word, <laughs> not the world, the word. It will consume you, or the world will consume you as well, but in a different way. Um. Okay. Sometimes the Bible can be hard to, to understand. Peter thought so when he re- read the. Uh, uh, Words of Paul, and it's just like this in Second Peter three. Bear in mind that our Lord patiently meant salvation, means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters. He's so fed up with with him, isn't <laughs> He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. No, he's not fed up. He's just being. This is really important. That's why he's writing the same thing in all his letters. Uh, Speaking in them of these matters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstoppable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So even already 2,000 years ago, when Peter wrote what Paul had written, when Peter read what Paul had written, he thought that, well, this can be hard to understand. Paul was an academic he was he was very highly educated. he was like a professor in old testament theology and and language uh, and Peter was an ordinary fisherman, so it's not it's understandable that he could think that well, when Paul writes in Greek, it is hard to understand. it's all these different words and stuff and and, uh, how the the sentences are built up and all this. It's hard to understand. But still, it's important. He writes this because it is important. He writes the same thing about about the salvation, about Jesus, about the one who, who was resurrected from the dead because it is important. Because this is the truth. And then we have one very, very famous verse from 2nd Timothy 3 about the Bible. This is what Paul writes then to his disciple Timothy. From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be throughoutly equipped for every good work. He's actually giving the piano uh, um, parable, right? You need to submit to a teacher, and then you... You into the Scripture, and then you will become free for real. Uh, so, how can the Bible make sense? How can it actually make sense today? In, I mean, we live 2,000 years after this was written. It's a long time, 2,000 years. If we look back on our history in the Nordic, one thousand years ago that 's half the time we had Vikings running around in the forests here. If you met a Viking today, you wouldn 't be able to understand what he said or she. The language was so different, so it 's like strange, and the world was very different, so we couldn 't actually understand the, the the pictures they were working with the parables they were talking the all the figure speaks and stuff they had. We wouldn't be able to understand them if we met one. That's just half the way <laughs> to when the Bible was written. The Bible texts are, more, com- they are more, more of the same. They haven't changed that much because they have been written down and they have, you know, so they have, they, the Greek language and the Hebrew language are much more the same than the Nordic languages. Uh, during this time but still it's a very long time Uh, so how can it make sense I think one of the reasons it makes sense is is that if we believe that God speaks in the book it starts to make sense one very well known uh, bishop of Canterbury long ago said I believe so that I will understand. I believe so that I will understand. Not the other way around. And actually, all will, there are so many, so big, big things, but we live in a world that is totally distorted, changed, scattered in knowledge. Um, the, the, in the 1600s and 1700s, we had what we call the enlightenment, yeah, the priest You see this? And uh, uh, we think, or we get thought, taught in school, that those people were good thinkers and that they were thinking rightly, and they did. Uh, the thing they don't mention is that they were all Christians, and they start to look at science and at the, the way the world functions because they were Christians. Because they, they understood that if God has created this world, he has done it in an orderly way that we can study and learn more about this world. So you know Newton who had the apple in the head, he was a Christian. It's never mentioned or very seldom mentioned, at least in, in, in maybe a higher part of university, but not before that. So we think that they were all actually finding... The the better way instead of God. You know, science. That's the way instead of God. But they were actually doing science because they were Christians. They were doing science because of God. So science and and Christianity, science and the Bible, should not really contradict each other. It's one and the same. It's just speaking different languages. uh, and, And answering on different subjects. The Bible doesn't really give an answer on why planes fly. Right? Science can do that. But science can't give you an answer about why do you exist. How you exist, well, yeah. Or how you came to be, yeah, in one sense. Physically, science can, uh, can explain how it happened. But it can't understand, uh, explain why. And what's the purpose of your life. This questions science was never meant to, to answer. So, so, so it's, it's just different parts of, of knowledge. And we have an, an, another big trouble with this, is that during the Enlightenment, uh, and uh, when uh, Darwin wrote his, his uh, very famous book about species, uh, and, and uh, started the whole Darwinistic era, he, his presupposition was that everything goes from from uh, unordered and uh, uh, bad <laughs> to ordered and better. Right? So, so it goes from amoeba, uh, or one-cell um, creatures, to humans. And in the end, on all these pictures and scales and stuff, there is always a man in a hat and a three piece suit standing from the nineteenth century and it's It's Darwin, of course it's <laughs> himself he puts himself on top of the of the <laughs> uh, evolution of course so uh, and that's quite funny, i think anyway. Uh, <clears throat> So he's the end of evolution. Charles Darwin. And and, and we have implemented that way of thinking into all different ways, all different knowledges that we have. So when we look at people 2,000 years ago, when we think of Peter and Paul, for example, we can think that actually they weren't very smart. They didn't know very much. We know so much more today. And also we think about like Aristotle, or, or Plato or Socrates, or any of those big uh, founders of the philosophical thinking, we think that, well, we know more today. And we are fooling ourselves. Science is fooling us, because they were brilliant thinkers. They have so much to say, not about how planes can fly, but about other stuff. About how people work function about our inner beings, about society, about a lot of other stuff not 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 necessarily um what a germ is or how how you know these things that we have found out the last one or two or three hundred years, but about other stuff that we have tended to forget, and it comes back in our minds and in our knowledge just because we think we know so much. And it can be the same with the Bible, we think, think it's irrelevant, we think it doesn't speak to us today because it's old, and because we know more today. Well, let me tell you, we know more about planes and germs and, and binoculars and, and all these things, but we don't know more about God than they did at that time. We don't know more about our inner lives than they did at that time. We don't know more about human societies than we did at that time. We don't know more about peace. Last century was the bloodiest century of all times, ever, in human history, for example. So uh, believing that God actually speaks to these writers, to these people who have written the book. is an essential thing of making it, making sense to us. Um, By reading it right, and I've started to talk a little bit about that, but reading it in the right way, not looking for how planes can fly, for example, or what germs are, or whatever, scientific, new knowledge it should be. But by reading it as the book where God speaks to us because He loves us. Because He wants the best for us. Because He wants us to to prosper and to be living out intentions He had when He created us. If you read it in that way, it actually makes so much sense. Sometimes you hear people say, Read what it says, and do what it says, and you will get what it says. I've said it, uh, and I regret it, <laughs> because it's not true. Uh, if you read most of it, it, it it's, it's true, but but if you think like this, you think that you don't have to interpret anything. It's just plain out truth, all of it. And we tend to use the Bible a little bit like that sometimes, but if you think about it, everything that you read or look at or hear, you interpret as a human being. I I remember once going to a movie, and I thought it was a a romantic comedy and uh, uh, I didn't understand anything. It was just scenes and and make no sense at all nothing's nothing was in the pattern you know it was just like like the one playing the piano from the beginning so nothing makes sense and then after half an hour I realized i I'd been going to the wrong room <laughs> so it wasn't a romantic comedy it was something else and then my brain started to rearrange all these scenes and all the what has happened in in the movie and all of a sudden it started to make sense and it was a really good movie (laughs) but the first half an hour was just nothing because I couldn't order it rightly because I had a wrong expectation coming into looking at the movie Uh, so we uh, uh, we interpret everything that, that comes to us, and it's better to interpret, um, know how you interpret and why you interpret as you do, than pretend that you're not interpreting mm-hmm. stuff, and do it not knowing what you're doing when you do it. It's better to know what you're doing, right? Uh, <clears throat> so, or, or, or like this: if you have, you get two letters. One is a love letter. And one is a letter, and it says, Skatteverket. Tax, uh, what's it called? Taxes on it. Two letters. One smells of perfume, and one smells of, I don't know, <laughs> something bad. <laughs> and, and if you open them, and, and, and you're going to, you you just sit down by the table, and you open the love letter. And you start to read it, and it says, you owe us so and so much money, do, do do. and you have all this law text, and you continue to read it as a love letter. It makes no sense, does it? It just what's this? This is just strange. Or if you do it the other way around. You think it's, uh, you think it's from the tax the collector, and it's a love letter, really, and you start to read it, and it's like, "What? <laughs> They must be very pleased with me uh, that the tax <laughs> office <laughs> must have been doing something really good. No, it, it just doesn't make sense really, because you have the wrong thoughts coming into reading it because you are interpreting it as soon as you see it. But the context of the letter is actually something that that helps you understand what it is you're doing when you're reading it. Uh, If you get a text from Pink Floyd, and think it's a scientific uh, article, that could be very, very interesting. And it's the same with the Bible. We interpret it when we read it. And to say that we're not, like this, is just not true, because we do it, and we do it unintentionally if we don't know. What we're doing when we do it. That was strange, but I think it worked out. So, <laughs> in the Bible, there is also a lot of different figures of speech, uh, like this one your mother doesn't work here. You, you know, um, all sweets, in a way, know what this means. Yeah. It means, what does it mean? Clean up after yourself. Make the dishes. Uh, but it doesn't say so, does it? Oh, I know my mother doesn't work here. I've known that all the time. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> so th- this is, this is uh, actually saying something else than what it says. It's a common... We have, we have uh, decided that this, is, this means wash the dishes. But it says something else. The Bible is full of these things as well. Especially in the poetic parts of the Bible. So many pictures, or the, uh, for example the, the Revelation, the apocalyptic texts, it's just full of it. And if you don't know anything about how those pictures work, or how poetry works in, 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 in that time, these things became strange. I think I need to hurry up very much. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, we need to start to interpret intentionally. We need to interpret, and we need to do it intentionally. So, what kind of a book is the Bible? Let's rush through this. It's six to six books. It's not one book. It's six to six different books, uh, and eleven apocryphs. If you uh, count them. Some Bibles have them in them and some don't, some don't. Some uh, um, Swedish Bibles and anyway we have them in the middle between the Old and the New Testament. There are eleven books called the Apocrypse. Uh, it's not really the Bible, but they're there anyway. <laughs> so um, they are later texts, most of them, between between the the Old Testament and the New Testament, not inspired by God. Uh, There are about 40 writers to the texts in the Bible, to these 66 books. Uh, Some say there's a bit more writers, like there's more than one writer for the five books of Moses, for example. Uh, I don't know at least he couldn't write the last part himself because then he was dead and buried <laughs> so there must have been at least two writers to the books of Moses and, but there is also could be possibly other writers and scribes and stuff that write write things differently and that's you th- they think that maybe there are like two or three writers to the books of, books of Moses for example, but at least 40 or around 40 writers to the to the whole Bible. They have different reasons for writing. If you look in Luke 1, for example, he says clearly that I'm writing, I'm traveling around and I have been collecting knowledge, collecting stories about Jesus and now I'm putting them down in an orderly way for you to understand this, Theophilus. He's writing to a person and he has, he's ordering things for, for him to understand what is about Jesus, what it's all about. Uh, and if you look in the end of John, John's Gospel, he says, Well, I have selected some stories for you. <laughs> Jesus did so much more, but I have selected these ones for you so that you may believe. It's a very different approach to writing. Still a Gospel, still a story about Jesus, but a very different approach to writing. Matthew is probably written for Jews. Uh, so that also makes things with the text, and and John is written far later than the other, 30 years later than the other, 20 years later than the other uh, testaments, which also makes something with the text. Sorry? John. John, Mm John. So different different reasons to write. Uh, Two testaments or parts of the Bible, the old one and the new one, should they be dealt with in the same way or should they be dealt with differently? Most Christians say that you should read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. The New Testament gives the the, the pattern for how to understand what's in the Old Testament. 1,300 years of writing 2,000 years ago, so it started 3,300 years ago at least, that's a very long time ago. So uh, and, and also the writers who have written these things within, so from the first book written, probably Job, uh, probably the oldest one, to The Revelation, which is probably the last book written in the Bible, uh, it's 1,300 years. It's a long time for one piece of literature, if you count it as that. <coughs> there are so many different genres in the Bible. Sjanger in Swedish. Uh, like, for example, I'm just listing some. There's law. The books of Moses, for example, there's some law for the, for the Jewish community. They were going out of Egypt. And there were one million people out in the desert. How shall we live together? We can't just kill each other when we're angry at each other. We can't just, you know, do whatever we want. There must be some kind of guidelines and laws for the community. So Moses wrote them down. This is the punishment for that, and this is how you do these things, and and this is how you worship God. And, And he wrote down all the Important stuff to help the the Jewish community live in an orderly way, in a kingdom way, God's kingdom way, together out in the desert. So there's law. There is history, as I talked about before, where God presents himself and how he acts with us. There is apocalyptic literature, like the book of Daniel, the Revelation. Ezekiel, for example. He's is fun. He is so weird. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and 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 uh, apocalyptic literature. Actually, quite a lot of it is like fantasy literature. The the revelation uh, is uh, that time's fantasy. There were there were fantasy today is well known. and We know we we have the Lord of the Ring and we rings and and. This is its fantasy. Twenty years ago, thirty years ago, no one knows what a hobbit were. Or maybe, but not, at least not in the black ones. What are they called? Come on. Orc. Orc. No one knows what an orc were. Today, everyone knows what an orc is. Almost everywhere, anyway. And, and in this time, everyone knows what a dragon were. that coming up from the sea. And today we have no clue what's the dragon coming up from the sea, or well, some clues. But it's uh, the, the the fantasy literature of that time is is written in in the language of revelation, really. So it was a common common way of writing in in the early uh, Greek world, in the Roman world. But today we find it harder there is poetry in the bible psalms for example that's poetry and should be read as poetry if we read it as law text it doesn't make sense and sometimes we do and, and it's, it's actually not right uh, and sometimes you just as I said if you read the bible uh, read as it says, do as it says, and you get what it says. If you read the Psalms as law, just read what it says and try to do what it says, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. And it, it leads us, not right. Poetry is wonderful because it speaks to our hearts, not to our minds. So, Or, or the, the Song of Songs, for example, Pegavissa. Is, is another very poetical, speaks to our hearts about the love between a man and a woman, mainly, but Christians think that's all too—it's too much physics in that, so it must be spiritual. <laughs> so the church has, during the centuries, uh, interpreted it as it between God and the church, but it's actually written as as a um, poetic literature, Jewish literature about uh, the love between a man and a woman, and it's poetry. And it does speak about God's relationship to us and to the church as well, but mainly it's about men and women. And there is other poetry as well in the Bible. There are stories. I mean, the parables are stories, right? Sjönlittertör. Really. There, Jesus, He, he invents them when he sits there teaching. They haven't happened. They will never happen. It's just stories that he makes up to illustrate the point. We do that as well uh, to illustrate a point in in our culture. You know Hans and Gretel, for example. It's a good story. You know what the point is. Don't put your children in the forest. They always come back anyway. No, sorry. It's not. It's. It's for the children to, to, to know, well, you shouldn't talk to strangers. You shouldn't eat cookies from, from strangers. Might be a witch. Be careful. It's the parents telling a sto- story, a made-up story, with a punchline or with a point, making a point. Uh, yeah. And Jesus did it, and the Bible is full of it as well. Stories, actually, just making a point. <clears throat> There is prophetic literature, and there is other literature as well, okay, I think maybe we should uh, yeah, just shortly. How can the Bible make sense? What kind of a book is it the bot in the bottom line it comes to. Did Jesus resurrect or not? If he didn't, it's rubbish. Then our faith is empty. Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is empty. And um, but we can see the transformation in the disciples when Jesus when they met the resurrected one, and when the Spirit has come to them, how they became bold, how they become um, Stolta, bold, over what they have heard and what they have gone through, Uh, and how their lives are being changed in the beginning of Acts. Uh, That's a very big testimony. This is true, actually. He really resurrected. There are so many eyewitnesses to to what is written in the New Testament. Paul claims that well one time when Jesus showed up after his resurrection, five hundred people saw him at the same time. And many of them are still alive, he says, and he writes that. To confirm that this is actually true. This is actually true, it happened. And also the we have the the disciples and the hundred and twenty and you know, a lot of people saw him resurrected. It's it's written about um, in other texts as well, in Roman texts, and not just the Bible then, but in Roman texts. It's documented that it has happened. Many eyewitnesses. We have oral traditions, and we have something called the Q source, the Q Q um, shellan in Swedish. It's a uh, The Gospel of Mark is the first one written, and but they they actually believe that because there is so much in Matthew and in Luke that are similar, and it doesn't show up in Mark, so there must be some other source as well that has been lost, and it's called the Q, uh, the Q source. So. uh, and it's full of Jesus' sayings, Jesus' words, that was probably written down when he said them, by someone following, a disciple perhaps, writing down what he said. And, you know, like, like Jews were could write, read and write, they've been to school, all of them, in the synagogue. Many Greek could not re- read and write, but Jews could read and write. So they think that the, the, this Q source for someone just writing down Jesus' words or his parables or what he, you know, thinks that he said. And it, it's lost now, but it's part of Matthew and Luke. They have incorporated that into the, to their uh, writings. Uh, you, also, today we have hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts from the 2nd century, not from the 1st, the uh, oldest text is from around 120, I think, that we have a piece of uh, John, P52 it's called, it's the oldest text that we have. but. If you compare those texts from the 2nd, 3rd and 4th century with texts today, there's almost no differences. I mean, they've been handwritten over and over and over again, and still there's almost very few faults in them. So they were very, really, really careful about getting it right when they copied it. We can be sure that the books that we have today, it's actually... It's actually what was written in Jesus' time. Good. Skip that. Skip that. Skip that. Share my testimony. How the Bible has changed my life. Shortly. Do we have time? I was a very, very shy boy. I was I was so shy I um, uh, couldn't go to in Sweden at that time in the 70s or 80s. You did you, when you should buy candy on Saturday. You get your money from your parents. You walk to a, to to a small shop, just a window like this, and you pointed. Uh, I want that one, and that one, and that one. And the and, uh, lady in the shop, she put it in a bag and counted. 25, 50, 55, and, and now that's five kroner. Here you go. That's it. That's all you had. Uh, so that's how I did, I, I did as well. But I was so shy, so I, I came up there, and she never heard me. I couldn't speak up. I couldn't speak properly. I was stuttering as well. Uh, so, so I was very, very shy. I got very, very um, red very often as well, very easily. Uh, I was bullied a bit and uh, uh, just thought, actually, that I can't learn stuff. Because I learned, I, I, I learned to read when I was 10 years old. So I thought I was quite stupid, really. That's my, that was my self image. I can't learn stuff, and I'm relatively stupid. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not the stupidest one around, but I'm kind of the stupidest one around. Uh, so I thought it's no use, really, to try to learn stuff. And up to seventh, eighth grade, when I was 14, 15, around there, I, I 13, 14, uh, started. I still thought like this. So when we should decide what language to read, except for English, I said no language. I have. I can't learn anything else that I'm already trying to learn. So no languages. I do something else. So I had to roll chocolate balls one week, and the other week I, I um, cut uh, metal in, in that part of school with, with the other guys who really couldn't learn stuff, who didn't want to learn stuff. So that's my that's how I, how I did it. And then I, I just barely made it into uh, gymnasium, as we call it to sleep, at 16. And then I become a Christian. Since 14 I had been kind of looking into this about Christianity. And and when I was 16 I decided well it's all for Jesus. All for Jesus. Uh, So things have started to change because I understood that I'm loved, I am uh, accepted, I'm good as I am, and I am uh, God's creation, I started to, 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 you know, think about these things from 14 years old until 16. And I haven't read, had not read the Bible at all. Uh, so when I was 16, I decided, well, I will be a Christian. Life was really going downhill, I was kind of a small criminal in the, in the area where we lived. Uh, looking for adventure, looking for the exciting parts of life, burglars and stuff, interesting. Car, thieves stealing, you know, interesting. And so I thought, well, either I become a Christian or my life will take a really bad turn and I will end up in prison. or kill myself, or something like that, in one way or another. So I became a Christian and started to read the Bible. And it was like turning a hand. Uh, My life was totally changed. Totally, totally changed. I read the Bible all day long, (laughs) really. In the breaks at school, I read the Bible. Uh, On the way to school, in the bus, I read the Bible. On the way back home, I read the Bible. And I just continued to read the Bible, because this was food. It was something else. It was, I felt, changing my insight. Changing, mainly, the way I looked on myself. As I said in the beginning, the only true way of looking at yourself is the way God looks at you. That's the only way that will set you free and actually guides you into the the the, the where he has where he has created you to be and there were some verses that were really you know st- st- stuck out for me and um, <laughs> in gymnasium I remember the others were reading. Uh, Augustine, Bay and other stuff to do uh, presentations. I read Acts mm-hmm. <laughs> and presentation Acts. And in English class, you remember, I was really shy. Remember, yeah, I couldn't almost speak. In English class, I was doing uh, why the Bible is right when the other one, was, other ones, was telling how a, a rubber worked or other simple stuff I did why the Bible is true. And but it was it was just something happening and stirred up inside of me because of who God was and what he said about me. And uh these is these are two of the those I put up four verses on the mirror at home. My family is not Christian so they were a bit annoyed. But it was on upstairs so my parents were seldom there, so uh, it was just my little sister and she was three younger than me so she couldn't change it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and this one, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Or he is in new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. He is in new creation. I could start to think of myself, well, All those years of thinking so badly of myself and not thinking that I could learn anything, not thinking that I could be anything, I am a new creation. I was standing on that word, really, I am a new creation. Something new has come, the old has gone, a new beginning. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's, that's like music in my ears. This is actually the, the most cited of the world. Bible verse a couple of years ago in the world. Do not be transformed to the patterns of this We are constantly bombarded with this world, this world's way of thinking and being pushed down by it. You know, you're brainwashed, all of you. Did you know that? You need to be upprogrammerade in Swedish. What's that in English? Deprogrammed, of course. And you need to deprogram yourself with, this, with his word. Because this world is just... Telling you bad stuff, stuff that's not right, stuff that is lies. You need to deprogram yourself. Since, since I was six, I've been brainwashed. It takes time to reorder the things in my head. Yeah, uh, These two as well. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's also such beautiful music in my ears. I have been crucified with Christ. It's not myself. It's him that lives within me. It's his life, his abilities, his way of doing things that lives in me. And also, therefore, since we were surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. The author and perfecter of faith. I used to say that before. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. But just this, the sin that so easily entangles, the word here is actually, it can be, it can be your own sin that entangles you, or that holds you, that binds you, but it can also be others' sin against you that binds you. But let us throw off all that. I mean, things people have said to you, and this was so true for me. What people have said, and what I was thinking about myself. I was actually sinning, thinking badly of myself. And you do that too, when you think badly of yourself. It's actually a sin. God created you for more than that. And you need to repent of that. And start to think of yourself as he thinks of you. You Look on yourself as he looks at you. Not easy, but you need to deprogram yourself with his work. That's it. Thank you. You have been listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. For more information, please visit the Vineyard Nordic's website vineyardnordic.org.